Welcome to the True Story London podcast. I'm Michelle Toth. In this podcast, we listen to a true personal story told live at one of our shows in London, followed by a conversation with the storyteller about their background, process, story themes, and more. Today's storyteller is Petra Gatek, telling us about how her cancer diagnosis precipitated a major shift in pursuing her true passion. Then we have a conversation about growing up under communism in Czechoslovakia and becoming an entrepreneur after the Velvet Revolution. But first, let's listen to her story recorded live at 21 Soho. Since I can remember, I've been always passionate about photography. I dream of becoming a photographer, but then my parents pushed me to more practical way, like the marketing and business. So I did. By 2018, I was entrepreneur running successful and rapidly growing destination wedding agency in Prague, where I'm from, essentially making other people' dreams come true. But I lived in London, so I was traveling back and forth every weekend, all the time. I was always on the run, never enough time. I was barreling through life with a jet set, but high pressure job. All while I tried to be the best wife and a mother and a daughter and a friend and a boss and a sister with really no time for myself. One day I was, I remember I was packing uh, yet again to leave the family behind and I felt discontent. I felt like, who am I ask for more from life? But I did feel really trapped, like riding on the train that doesn't stop. Like I'm just waiting to crash so I can finally get off. Well, careful what you wish for. First, the medical doctor appointment. I expected like a quick checkup scan and running out of the door back to my busy calendar full of summer weddings. But no, the doctor saw something suspicious and had to take a biopsy to test. Second, my husband. While I was waiting for the results, I managed to escape to a kids-free weekend in Lisbon. And after a long time, we had a time to talk. And after all these years, he said, well, that's not really the marriage I sign up for. I was never there. So he suggested for me to take a year off. So I was rushing back to Prague thinking like, how on earth I can take a year off? A few days later, I got a phone call from him in London saying he injured his Achilles and he has to sit with his leg up for three months. So I was so preoccupied with what was happening, like his injury, my crashing workload, my state of marriage, that I forgot about the results. So I was firmly calm when I went to pick up the results and meet the doctor again. And he said, well, you have aggressive type of triple negative breast cancer. And our best advice is to start tomorrow. Wow, the train did crashed. So we had 24 hours to figure out a plan. It was me with the life-frightening di- diagnosis in Prague and my husband sitting with his leg up at the corner of our kitchen in London. So the silver lining of that is that my father-in-law is a surgeon. He is the head of um, surgery in hospital and his specialty is uh, breast cancer. 
So with his help and guidance, I started really the second day. And it was a drug called commonly known as a red devil. And I carry on with the chemotherapy for five months and then follow the surgeries for six months. So here you go. That was my year. And after that, it was a year since I was diagnosed. I received finally the news, like I'm clear from cancer. The treatment is over. And everyone around me said like, wow, that's great news. Let's go back to normal. But did I really want it to go back to normal? I had no idea that the hard part is just starting. Nobody really talk about life after cancer. But I felt conflicted as I've been taking already enough of me time and so much support I received from my family and friends. So I started to taking care of my mental health. I was seeing a therapist and she helped me to remember my passion for photography. So I pick up the camera that was gathering dust at the corner and after all these years, and I started taking photos again. I started taking pictures of another female breast cancer or cancer survivors. And soon a sparked a sense of purpose in me to support other women to find their purpose. So I did what I knew the best. I established another business, another brand called Gato. And my mission is to empower women to uh, show up confidently in front of a camera and also support other female entrepreneurs with powerful personal branding. So that's my story, how I reset my life and I found my purpose. Now, statistically, I think I'm probably not the only one in this room who had to face the diagnosis of cancer. And my heart is with you. But I have a question for all of us. How many of us, without a reason to pause, without a reason to rethink, are really asking the hard question, do we really live the life we want? How much would it take to pursue your true passion? Don't wait for the train to crash to take a chance. Thank you. Petra, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Thank you very much for having me, Michelle. It's been a little while since you told your story live. How does it sound hearing it back? Oh, still emotional. (laughs) And it was great to listen to it again. Yeah, thank you. How is your health now? How are you doing? It's very good. And I'm in the complete remission. And it's been four years now. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) That's amazing. Still, it has to be challenging to go back to that time. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much for sharing your story initially, and then also being willing to talk a bit more about it, because I'm so interested in some of the themes that you raised. I'm curious, so you grew up in the Czech Republic in Prague. I'm just wondering what was life like for you growing up in Prague? Yes, I'm from Prague, and I grew up there just till the year of six. And then I grew up in Denmark, actually. Uh, My father worked for Czech government for the business department, and he worked there. But it was a different life that you can imagine, like expat life. In that time, we had to live in the community of Czech and Slovaks only, in the, under closed door. And um, we couldn't really experience the full 
capitalism world there because it was a communist time and everything was um, like a strict control. So, oh, how uh, interesting. Yeah. So I had as a child, you know, I was receiving the letters. They were all open from my friends and the phone calls were listened. And, and so it was really different time. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Because I was so curious about your business background and being an entrepreneur and starting multiple small businesses. And I was wondering where that came from. Because you mentioned that your parents had this desire for you to pursue something practical, not photography, your passion, but something practical. I grew up in the times where any development or incentives were punished. You you were supposed to be just equal everyone. So my parents grew up in the time, the whole life, most of their life, they lived in the communist time. There were no opportunities, basically. So once it opened up, when I was 14, we had the Velvet Revolution and the regime uh, changed. They were like, oh, wow, you know, you just go for it. And uh, first of all, you need to learn English because nobody speaks Czech, really. And uh, the best way to do like do business or marketing, my father did sales, to do something with your life rather than just learn one craft, which was be the photography. I'm so curious, like, so you're 14 when the Velvet Revolution happens. Can you say a little bit more about what that was like as a teenager? I still remember uh, how was the feel of um, scarcity. I think that was uh, how we can describe it. And also I had first-hand experience the contrast between the, the Western world and the Eastern world because we were crossing the borders. We were living three months in uh, Denmark and one month in Czech because I had to do exams. My mom had to teach me. I couldn't go to school because it would be a Western school. So it was just for seven years. She was I was homeschooled, basically, and just going back for the exams. It was such a contrast. And even as a child, I could feel, you know, what was different and, and how it didn't really work, how the society was treated, like nobody was encouraged to do anything special because we were supposed to be all equal, right? So when I came to school dressed a little bit differently, because only what you could buy in Czech was gray, blue or green. I had a pink t-shirt. All of a sudden, the teachers were looking at me and there was like two camps of teacher. Once they liked me and, and the others, they, they totally disliked me and, and gave me really hard time, like oh, really wow. hard time. Yeah. Gray, green and blue. Yes, I think that's what I remember. Maybe there was brown as well. <laughs> But I remember wearing this pink outfit and I was really standing out. Like people were turning heads on the street. Like, who am I? You're answering some of my questions before I've asked them, because later in your story, you talk about who am I to ask for more from life. And I really wanted to to understand where that idea that you didn't deserve more from life yeah. would have ever come from. That's a very good question. And it's just how we were taught, like at school, um, even, you know, here when you in England, what I know from my kids, how they are taught that, you know, you understand the topic, you have opinion and, and you can have your opinion. It's not wrong or right. But there was like, you don't have an opinion. You just learn the facts, go with it and don't stand out of the crowd. So it was not good to stand out of the crowd. You were encouraged to be just like... Everybody you know, else. Everybody else. All equal. All, all equal. The same. And what they were teaching us and telling us constantly over and over that the communism is the best. We are living the best life. And I could see that was nothing in the shop. We had to queue to get apples or bananas in the better uh, case. 
Or like when they got a meat, then there was like one hour queue to get the meat eventually. And there was everything in the shops, of course, in Denmark, what I could see. So I was like, okay, well, it doesn't really work. We didn't have internet at the time, of course. We didn't have the, the news were regulated. So we couldn't tell how was the life outside of of the, of the Iron Curtain, really. Right. So you were starting to say what it was like when the Velvet Revolution happened. Yes. Yeah, I remember there was such excitement from uh, parents and, and my sister, which was older, five years older. So she had a more sense of it. It was like, okay, wow, now we can travel. Like everybody were like, oh, wow, now we have all these opportunities. And well, were you back in the Czech Republic? Yes, we were already back for one year um, in, in the Czech Republic. And um, there was like big uh, demonstrations and Uh, that which I was not allowed to go I was too young to go but I think my sister went and uh, yeah it was like slowly and quite fast it was happening in other eastern uh, eastern European countries and uh, we realized like okay that's it it's amazing we could uh, have new opportunities so my father quickly became entrepreneur I think that time whoever had a little bit of common sense and new English they could work in this new uh, international companies and and have a like own businesses and and did very well so Petra you started your first business when you were living in Prague when you were yes. in, in the Czech Republic yeah I uh, started when I was I think like 27 28 I think that was the uh, the desire for something different uh, and also have the freedom, freedom to travel and be my own boss. And then how did you end up in England? Well, I grew up in Denmark and then I lived in different places like in, in the States for a while. I lived in Australia for a year. I lived in Kuala Lumpur and I worked there in Malaysia for over a year. So I've been always like kind of traveling And then I went back to Prague and I kind of thought, well, it'd be nice to live maybe somewhere else. But let's see, I established my business. So I was really busy with that. And then I met my husband. We had a long distance relationship just for a year. And then I decided to kind of move here. Yeah. So you met your husband. He's Czech, but he lived in England yes. for 10 years. Right. So now you're moving and living with him here. Yes. And at the time, still running your destination wedding business in Prague. Right. And you've introduced us to this time in your life where you had so much going on. You're being pulled and stretched in so many different directions. And I think it's going to be familiar to a lot of people who take on a lot at this stage of life that you're describing. I'm wondering, what do you think it was for you that got you into the situation of being so overstretched? For me, it was the hyperachiever of uh, trying to do everything. And the new role of being a mom that I was probably not ready, nobody prepared us for that, right? So I was entrepreneur, mom, wife, and all these roles I had. And I wanted to be good in all of those. But that is not clearly possible. And I didn't want to face the fact that I can't do uh, everything. I think that was the, that was the problem. <laughs> I think that when you think about all of these obligations, like family and career and friends and running so hard in all of those directions, and the idea that you just want it to stop, and you had that metaphor, that imagery of the train, you're on this careening train, you're just waiting for it to crash. I so can relate to that feeling, and I don't have kids. <laughs> so I can only imagine running the business, trying to be in a relationship, going, going, going. Now you're mom, and you're just like, it's all coming Yeah, It, the wheels are coming off the train. Right. And then your husband says to you, this is not the marriage I signed up for. How did that hit you? 
I kind of knew that was not the best situation, but I didn't want to face the fact that what shall I do? I need to handle it before the burnout will come really and something will happen. Uh, the train crashed. So, you know, I was happy that he said that we talk about the problems, but I had no idea how I could take a year off, basically. Did it work. just feel totally impossible, the idea of taking oh, a year off? Oh, yeah, let's try. But I had no idea how. You had mused in your story and said, who am I to ask more from life? And we talked about like where that came from and what you were thinking about earlier in your life. But I'm curious, do you feel differently now having been through this life-changing experience? Mm, that's a great question. Yes, certainly I do. And I am, I've done a lot of work like uh, therapy and, and I had a great coach. And I think for me to go through this Like, okay, what is what are my values? What is my purpose? What is my why? What I do, why I do it. It was so important to understand and find the balance, kind of. And also say, okay, what is my priority? I don't want to work at the weekend anymore that I used to, like for 10 years, I worked every weekend for in the summer. Um, and I want to be with my family, with my husband. And that really changed for me. And I think one thing that what I understood finally that... I can do anything, but not everything in the same time. So I finally learned that. And uh, to your question, like, who am I to ask for more? I am happy now to ask for more. I think I deserve it. And I'm happily married and, and a beautiful family and a job that uh, it's something that fulfills me and it's, um, it's it has own purpose. And I think it's such a big thing in our lives when we figure out that us having more, asking for more, wanting more of life doesn't actually take away from anyone else. Exactly. There's actually room and space for everyone to pursue what they right. want, especially if they sequence it, <laughs> especially if it's not, as you say, all at the same time, exactly, yes. but digging into what's most critical to us at any given time. And I have to imagine, like you said, your family is a focus at this stage of their lives. And I believe that we can all have more. There is, as you said, there is a space for everyone to be happy and do what they want. But I think we need to start within ourselves first. So Petra, you had a seemingly innocent doctor's appointment. You thought it was a regular doctor's appointment and you get this startling news that you have a very serious form of breast cancer and you need to start treatment immediately. That for me, when you told your story and when we were preparing for your story, that just struck me as so serious. Like the idea that it's not tomorrow and it's not the next day it's as soon as humanly possible you need to start this treatment and it was pretty serious because the type of cancer i had is a triple negative cancer which is it's a very aggressive type and in younger bodies it progressed faster so for me being younger then uh, it was disadvantage and they said the best really is to start now okay tomorrow the latest so i understood it's it's like serious And we had 24 hours really to set up a plan because I was in Prague. My husband was in London. He couldn't walk. He was sitting in the corner in our kitchen really with his leg up. And then we had to figure out about the kids and what we're going to do. So 24 hours. But I think many people probably relate in this situation like this. You just put yourself on autopilot. You just think like step by step. You just think about how you're going to sort it 
in the next few weeks. And There's a certain go. clarity that comes when something is so serious, like all everything that's not relevant falls away and you exactly. can focus on the goal. You have this incredibly fortunate circumstance of a father-in-law who's a breast cancer surgeon. That's sort of a startling coincidence in and of itself or a stroke of good fortune, silver lining. Where was he based at the time? He's in Czech Republic. And yeah, I don't know if it's a coincidence or it was meant to be, but uh, his expertise is breast cancer, but he's also doing a science in this topic. So he's been doing lectures and uh, talks around the world for, for this topic. So wherever I went in Czech Republic and I told my name, they, they kind of knew that, said, oh, that's coincidence that your father-in-law has this expertise in. That must have been comforting to have that kind of guidance, or was it? Was there anything challenging yeah, about it was, that? It was. I think it was comforting to know. But you know how it is. Every doctor will tell you that they don't want to treat their family, so he would recommend the best experts. Uh, but it was good that I could talk to him about that. Yes. So Petra, when I first heard this story, you taught me something really important, and it was the concept of being cancer-free. So now you can quote unquote go back to normal. And you mentioned that this this was a really common reaction from people, sort of the idea that, you know, whoa, glad that's over. And they're really quick to want to put this difficulty behind you when for you, everything has changed and you're not done processing the experience because your life has to be different going forward. I'm just wondering what you took away from the aftermath of after your treatment, when you were in remission and wanting to stay there, what are the things that you needed from people that they were or weren't able to provide? Yeah, I think there is not enough talk about life after cancer. If there is a lot of talk about how you managed going through the cancer and, you know, everything around that. But once you are put in the remission, what happened next? And I can't blame people because I didn't know myself. I expected to okay, well, that's, I should be fine now. But I didn't know that for me, the hardest part really opened up after that. And now I'm on a mission and I'm taking some talks and and being a guest on a podcast like this to share the message that, yeah, it's so important to talk to people even after cancer, to let them lead the conversation and ask them how they feel. To think what I found from other cancer survivors They are ready to talk about the struggles usually afterwards, but they feel we have already bothered our family and friends with all our diseases for all this long time. There is no space for us. But that's the important part, really, mentally to go through it because it usually hits you after. Like what we spoke about, like when you're going through it, the focus is clear. We have to focus on the treatment and getting through everything you need to do to get healthy again, to get yourself into remission. After that is when the reality of your life Mm. has changed. You've survived this incredible scare. Now what? So are there examples of people who've done that particularly well in your life? Yeah, I think some friends, they were nice and they said, like, what do you like need? How do you feel? Or just like, let's go for coffee and talk. And they gave me a space like, okay, that space is for you now. You can tell us everything, which was really nice. And I think even during the treatment, people don't know how to behave. Mm. So often they say, oh, hey, if you need us, let us know. But you never ask for help. It was much better if somebody offered like a specific help, say, 
okay, we take your kids to a cinema so you can have two hours, just, you know, you can just have a free time. Or it happened in Prague that when I was ill, I was alone in the flat. People just dropped me a dinner or <laughs> they just came and left a warm soup. So it was like really nice gesture, like really like a specific task. It's just to to listen. And, and I know often it's like, okay, well, it's done. We don't want to talk about it now. The struggle after cancer it's real. It's the, the fear, the anxiety, the stress. It's to process it. It took me, well, still on a journey, but I think the year it was really, really hard. So that's the really important thing is to check in with how you are feeling and give you some space to talk about the emotions around being a survivor who wants to stay healthy because that you're four years into your remission, which is beautiful. I have to imagine every moment of those four years has a certain version of stress. Yes, yes, it was it was hard, and especially the first year. But I think yeah, a lot of friends really, and I mean, family, of course, helped a lot, but a lot of friends as well were, um, yeah, they were supportive. And also what I want to say that what often people don't talk about, that it's so hard for your partner. And I didn't know till I kind of realized how hard was it for my husband, who was great supporter the whole time, I have to say. It was hard and nobody like acknowledged that it must be hard for him. So we both then went through a therapy separately and it was the best thing that we could do to just process the feelings. Individual therapy let you come together more strongly yes, as a couple. Yes, absolutely. Because what I think there is actually some statistic that a lot of couple don't, couples don't make it through a cancer treatment mm. because it's such a like heavy uh, pressure. Um, you ended your story with a question you said, how much would it take to pursue your true passion and to not wait for the train to crash? Do you think, I'm curious, the pandemic played this train crash role for some or even many people? Mm, yes. And now what I do, I work with women who often decided in the pandemic that they don't want to be in a corporate role anymore. That's not what um, fulfilled them anymore. They want to pursue their dream and being an entrepreneur. And they kind of started because of pandemic. They had a chance to reset and, and thought about their why. I often called it the great pause. The pandemic was so hard for so many. For some of us, it created a break from an intense life and forced us to like reevaluate and think about things differently. And it has it's opened up a lot of people changing careers, leaving careers. It's been an extraordinary shift. And Petra, you now have multiple businesses that are geared towards helping people. And as you said, especially women, passion. And I just wanted to ask overall, how is it going? And in pursuing your own purpose, have you been able to get more from life than before? I definitely feel now in, in a good place that I have found my why, my purpose. And I have moved more from the photography. I still do photography. Uh, but I do more of the mentoring for personal branding and really help women to find their purpose, the brand foundation and how they can communicate it and to be more visible. Because often what is a problem is women to have the confidence to uh, be visible and share their share day message. So that's what I'm helping now. And I've been starting doing talks and workshops. And it, uh, yeah, it's really like makes me happy. <laughs> and you're also brilliant at it. 
it's I've worked with you a bit and it's so wonderful to have one-on-one time with you and the way you support women as you said in front of the camera or now you're doing more with the mentoring and helping people start their businesses or think about their personal brand it's really remarkable to see when you were preparing your story you had to conquer some fear about getting up and speaking publicly is speaking publicly something you're generally comfortable with or was it was it different because it was your own story before I did presentations and that that's it's easy because you speak uh, about something else not about yourself and uh, there is the fear of course to to share the story I think it was like it, it, it is a personal story so to being judged maybe but I think now I overcome that uh, that I don't mind <laughs> but in the moment I think it is the case for a lot of people that when you tell your truest story you do wonder how it will be received exactly. like how will people see you experience you as you said judge you and it's vulnerable it is it's like a moment of like bearing your your soul your experience and it's a big thing to do and it's a big gift to others so i feel so grateful to you for for you having done that and shared a really inspiring story so other people can learn through your experience and not have to have their own personal trains crash before they get off and start doing things a little differently yes so thank you so so much for sharing thank you so much for having me i appreciate that thank you Thanks for listening. For more information about today's story and conversation, see the show notes at truestorylondon.com. And if you like what we're doing and want to sponsor us, you can do that on our website too. The True Story London podcast is hosted by me, Michelle Toth. Our producer is Ellis Ballard. Our theme music is by C-Noise. Live recordings were provided by Laughing Around and recorded at 21 Soho. And just one more thing. Please subscribe and rate us at your favorite podcast platform. It really does help, especially since we're a new podcast. Thanks, and we'll see you for another episode soon.